Well, this morning, we're back in the book of Hebrews. If you haven't been with us, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we have been for the last seven months, yes, seven months, going verse by verse through this book of Hebrews. And we come to a very famous passage and chapter of Scripture, the Hall of Faith. Now, we're going to move through this chapter relatively quickly, and the reason why at the bottom of your sermon insert, you're going to see a note from your teaching team saying, we're going to fly through this really in about three weeks, this whole chapter in three weeks, you're going to be like, wait a minute, there's so much there, and we would agree with you, and that's why three years ago, we spent weeks on Hebrews chapter 11, going verse by verse, walking through each of the biographies, and we called it Heroes from Hebrews. And we want you, if you want to go back and do some extra credit, Pastor Keith will give out gift cards to everybody who goes through that series, okay? And uh, if you want to do that, the information is there for you. But let's remember what's going on in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written by an anonymous author, written to a group of first century Christians who had left Judaism. They had left the rituals and regulations of the Mosaic Law. And the reason why they left, because they had entered into a personal and vibrant relationship with King Jesus, and their life was changed. Their life was changed in a lot of positive ways. They now had access to God in a way that no Jewish individual would ever be able to experience. They had the Holy Spirit living and guiding them to truth and convicting them of sin. But with all the good that would come from walking with Jesus, trouble was there as well. You see, the other Jewish people and their family and their community of friends and their workplaces were all together upset that they would walk away. These Jewish individuals, how dare they walk away from the national faith of Israel? And because of that, these New Testament Christians were being beaten down and being bullied to leave Jesus and come back to the fold. And what was happening in Hebrews chapter 10 is that many of the people who had walked towards Jesus with them were now departing. They were deserting Jesus to go back to the old way of things. And the writer says to those remaining, persevere, endure. There's something so valuable waiting for you if you would just continue to walk this life of faith. And what he does is he now opens Hebrews chapter 11, and he says, this is what faith is all about. Now, there's a phenomenon in our times, one that's new. I I couldn't find when it exactly first took place, but I know it's been in probably the last 10 years or so. But the idea of fact-checking, with the advent of the internet, There's a lot of information out there. And what we have to constantly do is ask the question, is it fake or is it fact? Uh, Whether it's information we receive from a news source or someone who posts something on social media. In fact, many of the social media and big tech companies now are doing their own fact-checking. Whether you agree with them or not, they're saying this is true and This may be not completely true. We saw it in the presidential election. At the end of each of the debates, they would say, so-and-so said this, and this was partially true or mostly true or mostly false. In fact, I remember a time, it was some years ago, this was the first fact-checking that I remember 
When we were a much smaller church in this space, I used to, for the sake of just intimacy, walk the aisles. Some of you who have been around for a while remember that. I would come off the stage and I would preach and, and get closer to the people, making many people awkward and nervous. But I remember I was preaching and I was giving some stats and, and, and information. And as I'm walking through the aisle, I look down and I see a guy on his little Palm Pilot. Teenagers, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And as I look down next to him, he is Googling what I just said. That was an unnerving moment. He's fact-checking the preacher, right? Uh, my sermons are transcribed each week. And this is going to be great because I've never talked about the lady that transcribes my sermons. She's going to listen to this in her ears in a couple days. She'll be like, he's talking about me. She fact-checks. There will be times she'll say, Tim, where did you get that information? I don't want to write it down. Did you misspeak? Where is your source? There's fact-checking going on all over the place. It is something that I think will be around for many years to come. Now, as Christians, with that thought of fact-checking, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought that you are fact-checking God? That is, God, He's declared things. He's announced things. He's promised things. And that we as people, we are taking what He has said and we are either saying it's fake, untrue, or in fact, it is truth. And because it's truth, I am going to live my life. I'm going to build my hope. I'm going to set my expectations on what God has said through his word. I'm not only going to, if you will, believe it in my mind, but I'm going to act upon it. I'm going to throw all my weight behind it because the God who promised, as the scripture says, even in the book of Hebrews, is faithful. Now, faith, when we talk about it, is not just true to us as Christians. In fact, the most strident of atheists and agnostics, they've got faith. Uh, let's just run through some faith checkpoints this morning. How many of you this morning, remember, it was uh, uh, Spring Forward Sunday, right? And this is probably the Sunday that either on your phone or on the alarm clock, how many of you set your, your second service? Probably nobody did this because you guys don't go by any alarm clocks. But how many of you set an alarm for yourself this morning? Okay? You put faith that, listen, think about this. You said, I know in a couple moments I'm going to become unconscious to the world and I'm going to put my faith and trust that I'm going to wake up because this machine is going to make all kinds of noise to wake me out of my slumber. You put faith in an alarm clock. For others of you, you, you put faith in when you got in the shower this morning that that machine in your cellar or basement that's supposed to heat the water, that when you got into the shower this morning that it was faithful, that it did what it promised it was going to do in producing hot water on demand. Some of you aren't so trusting of that, so you stick your pinky in there and just test it because you have been wronged before. And that's a terrible thing to do on Spring Forward or Pi Sunday. Others of us, we, because you're the second service, you had a little extra time this morning, and so you headed out to Dunkin' Donuts or, or McDonald's, and you grabbed something to eat, and you trusted people that you could not see, 
You don't know what they were doing with your food. I'm in the food business. You have no earthly idea. Okay? By the way, come out to the Five B's barbecue. Okay? You have no earthly idea. Did they wash their hands? Did you get a little extra something something in your egg McMuffin, right? And what you do, you don't ask, can I see the thermostats on the walk-in cooler? Can I see the internal temperature of the egg McMuffin that I just ate? No, by faith, you grabbed it as soon as they handed it. I've seen you in the drive through lane. Grab it, unwrap it, and it's already in your mouth, and they're just handing your coffee right then. By faith, we eat food each and every day, right? And then, as you're heading into this parking lot today, so as to not kill one of our parking attendants, you had faith that you would hit the brakes and the brakes would stop your car. You see, we're people of faith. I'm looking out to about 400 people in this room right now, and all of you are exhibiting faith by placing your weight in a chair, and you have faith. You don't know where these chairs were made. I may have gotten them dirt cheap. You have no earthly idea where I got these chairs, but you're trusting that it's going to hold you, fully knowing, and I've had this happen. My mother-in-law bought new dining room chairs. I sat in it one time, and it broke. You don't ever live that down. But you have faith that the chair is going to hold you. Do you see? We are people of faith. But what the Bible is going to tell us in Hebrews chapter 11 is that this faith is far deeper. This faith is far grander than trusting in a chair, trusting in another person to cook your food or an alarm clock to wake you up. This faith has to do with the invisible God creating everything seen and unseen in the world and desiring a relationship with you. So what I want to do is I want to examine this thing, this faith. I want to take it out of the theoretical. I want to get it out of the clouds of our intellect and bring it down to the hands and feet that we understand what faith is. To do that, let's define faith. Let's look at what it means to have faith. Faith is the assurance in the truth of God's biblical assertions to the point of acting upon them. Faith is the assurance and the truth of God's biblical assertions to the point of acting upon them. Here's here what it is. The Bible that you have in your hands, whether on your phone or your device or in a physical copy that you have in your hands, are things that God has said. Now the question is, will we approve it as fact, stamp it approve as fact, or will we say it's fake? Faith is the process of fact-checking God and what he has said to the point that we will arrange our lives, we'll arrange our calendars, we'll arrange our pocketbooks to live in light of those assertions that God has made. And so let's look at what Hebrews chapter 11 uh, verses 1 through 3 tells us. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For it by, for by it the people of old, that is the people of the Old Testament, received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Go down to verse 6 just as a way of extension. And without faith... It is impossible to please God, 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe. That's the same word, must have faith, must believe, must trust, some of your translations may say, that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what I want to do is I want to, over the next five points, yes, five points, you'll get out of here on time, I want to look at the two words, now faith. Now faith. What do we need to know about faith? What is it about faith that connects us to God and connects us to a life that pleases God? Five truths about faith. Let's look at number one. Number one, faith is the way we approach God. You and I cannot have a relationship with God apart from faith. To put it into a, a better term, faith is the ignition to our relationship with God. You cannot move from point A to point B in your car until you turn the key. That tells you how old my cars are. Until you turn the key, some of you press a button. But that ignition has to take place for the car to move. Faith is that igniter that causes the Christian to move closer to God. Now faith. How do we approach God? Notice we've got to go back because this isn't the first mention of faith in the book of Hebrews. In fact, we just got to go back just a couple verses, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, help me out, of faith. There it is. What they're saying is, is that we can approach God because of what Jesus has done. The way we do it is by stepping out in faith. Every person in this room, in fact, every person in all of the world who has bowed the knee to Jesus Christ has acted upon the assertions of God in Holy Scripture. What the Bible says is that we were created in the image and likeness of God and our uh, physical ancestors, Adam and Eve, instead of obeying God and living in places of joy and contentment in the Garden of Eden, they rebelled against God, fell to sin, and that sin impacts us both by nature and choice, and now we are far from God. So God in his grace and mercy, looking at the whole lot of humanity, sends his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, and in doing so, causing redemption to be had for those who will act upon that truth. The truth of what God says about us as sinners, about Christ as Savior, and faith says, I'm going to respond to that in the affirmative. In fact, the book of Ephesians tells us very concisely about this issue of faith. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is, God's unmerited favor was given to you through faith. Now, right before you think, well, look at me. I exhibited faith. 
The person next door at my house in my community, he didn't exhibit faith. He's not as smart. He's not as holy. All of that. The writer of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, don't get too big in your own eyes about your faithfulness. Because what we need to recognize is the next phrase. For by grace, God's unmerited favor, he saved you through faith. And this faith, he says, is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So all you did was open this gift. You didn't work for it. You weren't smart enough to attain it. You didn't put the pieces together in the puzzle in a way that was better than the person sitting next to you. God gifted you this faith. And he doubles down and he says, it's not something you should boast about. And so God in his grace has given you eyes to see and he has opened your eyes with faith In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives this faith to all who seek him. And so maybe this morning you've come here and you're not sure about God and you're not sure about the claims of God. Let me tell you something. Today is the day that my prayer is that God would open your eyes to the claims of Scripture and the claims of Jesus Christ that you would bow the knee and you by faith would agree with the assertions that God has made in his holy book and that you would live and put your whole trust in that. It is how we approach God. Number two, faith we're going to learn in the book of Hebrews is the antidote to adversity. Last week, we learned in Hebrews chapter 10 of two groups of people. There was this one group that had deserted the faith. They walked away from the faith. They gave up on Jesus. They gave up on the church, and they no longer were a part of the assembling together as the church got together. They walked away. But then in verses 32 on, we see this second group. We've got the deserters there in 26 to 31, and then in 32 through 39 to the end of the chapter, we get this dedicated group, this group that's walking in in, in a way that honors God. And so notice what it says about them in verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have, look at verse 39, what do they have? Faith. The difference between you, the dedicated, and the deserter is one ingredient, faith. And this faith, you would say, well, wait a minute. Maybe the reason why the deserters left was because life was harder for them. Maybe they had experienced issues and struggles that were greater than than the dedicated individuals. Let's face it, not all of us have the same amount of trials and troubles as another does. But what we learn in verses 32 through 39 is that the dedicated are involved in all kinds of trials and tribulations. Notice, but recall the former days, verse 32, after you were enlightened, after you came to the faith, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on your friends and family members who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder, the stealing of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He says, he goes on, he says, therefore don't throw away your confidence. Don't give up your faith, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Sometimes faith needs some endurance. Sometimes it's hard to live the life of faith. But if you do, it says, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
So faith doesn't look at the adversity before you. It advances beyond the trouble to the triumph that God promises us. And so maybe right now, some of you are dealing with some real issues. You're living in a place of fear and not faith. Maybe you find yourself because of medical news. Maybe because of relational news. Maybe because of financial news. Maybe because of some spiritual things that are happening in your life. You feel beat down and and bullied by this world. And the way that God says you and I are going to make it through this life is by faith. Faith is what puts in the Christian one foot in front of the other. It's the faith that keeps people walking. It's the faith of the widow standing over the casket and says, I'm going to honor God because God gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the one who doesn't have any money in the bank account who says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. It is the one who feels isolated and alone in their distress or depression. And they're reminded of the truthfulness of God's promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It is the promise that that maybe you are being beat down by the world and you're reminded what can man do to you. You and I as Christ followers are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It is because of what God says that he who began this work of faith in us, even though we fail and we sin and we struggle, the one Jesus who started this work in us of faith will be faithful to see it to completion. We have hundreds of these promises that if we will lean by faith into the promises of God and not in fear because of the problems of our life, we will experience the promise of what God has for us. It is the antidote. Listen to me, my friends. You will never endure trials and tribulations well without living in the faith of the promises of God. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing. When you see someone in adversity living lives of faith. I'll never forget the story of a family that was traveling on 294, the interstate heading north out of Chicago. And it was a family from the northwest suburbs. It happened probably now almost 30 years ago. And as they were driving, a big family, van full of kids, I think there were eight or nine kids that were a part of it, the truck they were following after had a piece of its metal come off the truck and it struck precisely on their minivan uh, gas tank and engulfed in fire, losing most of their children in that fiery ball of flames. When interviewed that evening, that evening, seeing their children scream their last moments of life, this Chicago family said, we are heartbroken, but we are not hopeless. We believe in one who promises that we will be reunited with them in heaven. And when you see that, amidst that adversity, you're like, where did that come from? The world doesn't offer that. The world doesn't promise that. The world tells us to do what Job's wife did, curse God and die. But faith says, God's got another thing coming, amen? And so it's this antidote to adversity. Number three, and this is important, faith must be acted upon to be authentic. 
There's a lot of faith out there. I just told you, a whole lot of faith going on in our world. Unbelievers and people hostile to God are living lives of faith right now. But this is not biblical faith. This is not authentic or true faith because it's not put on the right person. It is put on this hope and prayer of good vibes and feelings and and, and chances to go the right way, that the dice will fall in a favorable way. For you. This is not for us as believers. Authentic Christian faith. Notice verse 1. You're like, finally, we get to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance. Conviction. Those two words while they're two different words, mean very much the same thing. Let's deal with that word assurance. Hupostasis is the word in the Greek. That's what he would have written down. Uh, Now, faith is the hupostasis of things hoped for. Hupostasis literally is a compound word, two words cemented together to literally mean foundation. It means something that is set underneath. The intention is is that it doesn't just sit there, but it holds something else. Its whole purpose, its whole existence for being is for you to build something upon it. When translating John 3.16 to a native group of people, it is said that a missionary was trying to figure out the word believe. It's the same word in the Greek, pistis or pestuo, uh, that we get the word faith from. And he was trying to figure it out, and he had invited one of uh, the native speakers who knew some English to help him with the word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever has faith, will not perish but have everlasting life. He wanted to get that word. That's an important word. That's a a key word in the text. And and he started talking about, well, what does this word mean in your language? And they talked, no, that's not the right word. What about this word? And they talked about it, no, that's not the right word. And the native translator was sitting in a chair and he says, what's the word for what you're doing? And he gave him the word. He says, that's kind of it, sitting in a chair, putting your, leaning your weight upon the chair. And then he said, Lift up your legs. And the native speaker began to ball up his legs. And he says, that's it. That is belief. Leaning your whole weight. Leaning completely. This is it. Putting all of your faith, all of your trust, doing all of that. And so when they, in their native language, read it, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever will wholly lean, put all of their weight, put all of their trust into Jesus, they shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the problem, Christian. Many of us think we're living lives of faith, but we've got crutches of worldliness, of worldly things that are helping us along the way. We are not leaning. We are not placing our whole trust, our whole faith, all of our weight 
into this. And until we do, we will not fully experience the blessing of seeing God not only handle the weight of us being that foundation, but carrying us on to even greater things. Now, this word conviction, by the way, it's pretty similar. But what it means is that uh, we have this assurance. We believe it. We believe it with all of our heart. And the reason why is that there is settled evidence. Listen to me, Christian. You do not believe in this blind faith. You believe in a faith of facts. God has spoken. God has declared. God has demonstrated. You have seen this with your own eyes. Now, the world comes to different conclusions because they want to resign themselves to the fact that there is no God. So we got to come up with another thing that made this happen, which we'll talk about in a moment of creation. But we see God says it, and that settles it. And so I'm going to believe. I'm going to act upon the veracity, the truthfulness of the biblical assertions that God has made to us about all manner of life and doctrine. Number four. Faith. Now, faith, we need to see, is also the avenue to God's approval. Verse 2, for it is by faith that the people of old received their commendation. Go down to verse 5. By faith, now we get this unique situation with Enoch, an Old Testament saint. He was taken up so that he should not see death, he didn't die, and that he was not found because God had taken him to heaven. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, the writer says, it's impossible to please God. The number one goal as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you have a desire to please God. That I hope that's why you live. Your life should be about pleasing God. This was the mantra of Jesus Christ when he said, I've come here to please my Father in heaven. He did it perfectly. And now he's modeled it for us. And we are to do likewise, whether we eat or drink, we do all things to the glory to please our heavenly Father. How do we do it? We cannot, listen to me very carefully, cannot please God without faith. That's why you just doing good things for the sake of doing good things, that ain't cutting it. It is by saying the reason why I do these things is because, God, you've called me to do it. Because, God, you've said certain things, when bad issues or struggles come, I'm going to walk in the way that you've prescribed instead of the way the world prescribed. And God says that pleases him. He gives his stamp of approval. You see, pleasing God can only take place when we walk the avenue of faith. Now listen, it doesn't say we've got to walk it at a high rate of speed. It doesn't say we've got to take these big, giant steps of faith to be able to please God. It says that we live moment by moment, little detail by little detail, sometimes failing, sometimes faltering, but every step of the way, our desire, our hope, our prayer is that we would live by faith. Now, we sit in a brand new worship center. Can I tell you something? God's not impressed with this place. God's not like, wow, they really did a great job with the crosses. Wow, that paint color, they 
that's my paint color. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can worship a God that loves that paint color. Okay? All right? Carpeting. That's the carpeting. Hey, other members of the Trinity, they nailed it. Let's give them our stamp of approval. That's not where God is giving a stamp of approval. You know where God approved this project? By the little by little steps of financial faith that people took to say, not about me. It's not about me getting this new thing or that new thing. It's about me committing to give to the work of the Lord so that God might be glorified. And it doesn't matter the amount. God was pleased to see a widow put in two little coins and said she gave out of the overflow and abundance of her heart. You see, it's not the way we look. It's not the economy. It's the faith economy, not the financial economy that rules our world today. God is looking at faith. In fact, the Bible says in the Gospels, when Christ comes, will he find faith in the world? What a question for us. If Christ was to come back before the end of this message, would he have found you? And to ask the question of yourself, I need to ask it of myself, would he find faith in you? In this last week, can he see you walking the walk of faith down the avenue of faith that when you go to work, it's about how do I live this in faith? How you spend your money, it's about how do I spend my money in faith? How I spend my time? Am I doing it in a way? That pleases God. Number five, faith gives us the ability to see God's activity in the world. So he's going to give an example. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I love what Oswald Sanders says on this issue of faith. He he puts it this way. He says, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as if it is visible. Both the invisible and the future are unseen. Faith gives us eyes to see that which is invisible and that which is out of our reach in the future. And so how how do we see it? He uses example. He says, okay, I know I'm talking to a Jewish audience. One area we can agree on, maybe we don't agree on Jesus, but we can agree that when Moses wrote in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, everybody believes that. Now the thing about creation is nobody was there but God. And so by faith we have to believe it. Now the world says, listen, there ain't no such thing as a God, but we've got a problem. How'd we get here? Well, what do we do with that? And so we got all the smartest people together, and they started to concoct this thing. Okay, so here's how the discussion went. They got together. Okay, we don't have a God. We can't go there. Don't go there. But we got to figure out how'd we get here. I got it. There was a time where there was nothing. Everybody say nothing. Okay. Out of that nothing, I got an idea. Out of that nothing, two somethings were there. Got it? Out of nothing, two somethings. Those two somethings, you guys with me? Oh, yeah, this is good. Out of nothing, two something that works. How can you fight that? Yeah, out of nothing. How have you ever seen nothing come out of something? 
Or, yeah, nothing, something come out of it. I'm confusing myself here. That's why I wasn't invited to the meeting, okay? (laughs) Those two somethings, yeah, preach it, brother, preach it. Those two somethings happen to hit one another. Oh, yeah, hit. And that's how we came into being. That works. Yeah, let's go with that. That's what your schools are teaching. Out of nothing, two somethings came together And here we are, a couple billion years later. Can I tell you something? That takes a whole lot more faith than saying there's a God, and I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he went about it. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How do I know that? Because I know nothing, out of nothing comes something. And I know without a grand designer that you can't come up with things like the Grand Canyon You can't come up with Angel Falls. You can't come up with all that I've seen. And even beyond that, the genetic code that I have in one strand of DNA would take 50,000 volumes of books to decode it. Wait a minute. Out of nothing came something, and out of this quagmire of somethingness that was out of nothingness comes me, and I have this purpose, and I have this being, and I'm able to express love and charity and and the sense of belonging and need, and you're telling me there wasn't a God who put that there? You have way more faith than you need to be a believer, okay? It was said this way. I love this. This is a perfect word picture. To believe the claims that out of nothing came all that is seen and unseen in the world. It would be like going up into an airplane at 30,000 feet, grabbing boxes full of of, uh, letters of the alphabet. At 30,000 feet, pouring out of the airplane as it's traveling, pouring out all those millions of alphabet letters, And on the ground are pieces of paper at ground zero, if you will. And the chances of you pouring that out, and when they hit those pages, they turn into the Webster's Dictionary. You didn't get that. It doesn't happen. So what do we have? If it ain't that, then it's got to be in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, can I explain it? Nope. But what they're offering over here in the smart man group ain't working for me. Something can't come out of nothing. There has to be a first cause. I don't care what you're a part of. I don't care what your philosophy professor tells you. There always has to be a first cause. And if you start with nothing, then there is no cause. And so the Bible says, God created. Why is this so important? Because if you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth as he said he did, then surely you can believe that a Galilean man who says he was from God, who showed us through signs and wonders and taught from God himself, would go to a cross and die. And when he says that through him he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes through the Father except through him, he said it, and that settles it. I'm going to believe it. So, what are my takeaways? Three takeaways, and we got to finish up. I'm beyond my time. Takeaway number one, okay? What do we do with this? Let's go back to the definition real quick. What's the definition we've been working with? Faith is the assurance and the truth of God's biblical assertions. God has said things, and what I need to do is I need to act upon them. That's how I'm activating my faith. So let's, let's talk about it. First of all, 
I need to ask God to grow my faith if it's not very big. In Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, we have this very unique situation. A guy is in total despair because of his child. And Jesus comes and he knows the situation that's going on. And the guy is just, he is so worried about his kid. And God, and Jesus says to him, hey buddy, with faith all things are possible. You know my situation, Jesus? Why would you say that? He doesn't respond that way. And, God, and Jesus doesn't chastise the guy for his lack of faith. And Jesus won't chastise you for lack of faith. But what the guy does is what we need to do. He says, Lord, help me in my lack of faith. Some of you are dealing with such difficult circumstances and you're sitting there going, I want to believe, but my feet are shaken. I don't stand on a good foundation. And Jesus isn't sitting there going, well, you know what? Until you shore up your knees, you're not going to get it, what you're asking for. He says, just ask, and if you ask, it will be given to you. And some of you this morning need to just pray a simple prayer. Lord, give me more faith. Let me believe. Let me have assurance and a conviction of the things that I can't see. Ask God to give you faith. Number two, acquaint yourself with Scripture. What the author is going to do now for the rest of the chapter is throw Old Testament upon Old Testament on these people. Why? Because it's way easier to step in faith when someone's gone before you. Years ago, I was with one of my boys, and it had been a big snowstorm. And he was a little kid. I can't remember even which one it was. But he said to me, Dad... I can't walk in this. Snow is too deep. And I said, listen, just follow in my footsteps. You'll be fine. And that's what he did. He just walked where dad walked. And he was just fine. As Christians, sometimes life is so deep that we can't walk. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, let me give you some footsteps that you can follow in. So by faith, notice what he says, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, uh, uh, Rahab. By, by faith, all of these different people. All of these great men and women. Were they perfect? No. Did they fail? Yes. But they walked steps of faith so that we could walk in their footsteps of faith. Write this down somewhere. This is so important. You're like, but I don't have enough faith. Let me ask you, are you acquainted with the Scriptures? The depth of your faith will always be connected to the depth of your knowledge of God. Let that sink in. Could it be that you don't have faith, go back to the definition again, that you don't have faith because you don't know what God has said. You don't know the truth of his assertions, because you don't know what those assertions are. You've not opened his word. You've not listened to him and said, okay, God, what are you promising? Okay, God, what are you saying? You don't know because you don't know what's written there. Get into the word and your faith will grow. It's always connected to your knowledge of God. Number three, very practical. Activate your faith by taking small, tangible steps. You want more faith? Take a step of faith, a small step, three areas in your calendar. You want to have a faith-filled calendar? Take a step to dedicate a little time. 
Give it five minutes. Start with that. That's a small step of faith. God, I'm going to carve out five minutes of time where I'm going to be still and know that you are God. Maybe I'll read a portion of scripture. Maybe I'll read a devotional. Maybe I'll say some prayers, but I'm going to dedicate this time. This time is going to be for you. I can't give you an hour. I can't give you a couple hours, but I can give you five minutes. Whatever it is, I'm going to dedicate myself to that small step of faith. You want your finances to be faith-filled? Then find a place. It doesn't even have to be Village Bible Church. Yes, you heard that. You don't have to give to Village Bible Church to be faith-filled. But find a place that you would say, God, I'm going to give you $20. If it can't be $20, let it be $10. God's not asking you to give away the house. Start with one little step of faith. Over these upcoming weeks, I'm going to dedicate a portion of my income. You agree with God on it. However big or small you believe it needs to be, I'm going to trust God that he's going to take care of me. And I'm going to give. And I'm going to believe that God says he'll provide and take care of me as I give to him. How about in your conversation? But what happens if I talk to people about Jesus and they turn away? Can you just start just one element of your conversation to point people to Jesus? God will give you opportunities. I pray that all the time. Lord, give your servant opportunities. You know where my opportunity yesterday was? In a bar. Yep. Saturday night in a bar. Was that a, yeah, you clap. Were you at the bar too there, Lance? Okay. All right. We were at a a post-basketball game party with some other senior parents, and I was sitting next to a mom of one of the parents, and she leans over to me and goes, I hear you're a pastor. Oh, boy, what's going to happen with this? Do you like your job? Yeah, I do. What do you like about it? I hear a lot of pastors don't like their jobs. I I like it. Why? (laughs) Can I sit by someone else? Okay? What do you like about it? I love seeing God change people's lives. I could have said, you know what? I don't like where this conversation's going, so I'm just going to skirt away from it. Let's change the subject. Let's do anything. But by faith, I believe, man, I'm going to step out. And and not a big thing. I wasn't Billy Graham preaching the gospel to her, but little what was given to me, I, I took it. You know what she said? You're a funny guy. You must, you, people must love listening to you talk. Can I hear one of your sermons? I'm like, you obviously haven't been here very long. Okay? And today, she's got links to Village Bible Church to hear the preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Small, guys. Small. But like you, I'm wondering, is this lady a part of the We Hate Pastor Society? I'm like, well, I don't know what she's going to do. But a little step of faith. Listen, my friends, when we live by faith and not by sight, can I tell you something? What I've learned in my 44 years of living, God will knock your socks off if we will just step out. And I know it's scary, and I know it can be hard at times, but if we will open ourselves to it, we will be amazed at what God does. Amen? But take a little step this week and trust God and watch him do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask for or imagine.